Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane. I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. And today we've got a special guest who uh, in perfect form is covering for his boss. So Weber, who we got today? We got the Teddy Scott, one of the greatest caddies in the history of PGA Tour golf. Uh, Love Teddy. He's a great friend. Um, Known him for a long time and so glad he's coming on the podcast. And Teddy and I have an interesting relationship because I feel like sometimes Teddy thinks I use him in our relationship because if I need a, a laugh or if I need somebody I'm with to laugh, I just say, hey, let's go over to Teddy. You know, he's grinding with Scotty on the range, but I make Teddy say jokes. So, Teddy, I'm sorry for making you do that over the years, but it's great to have you on. But he's always got him in the holster, so you know it's you know it's a sure thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So before I ask you your your favorite thing about Teddy Scott, fellas, do you have any jokes for us to kick us off? Who me? Oh yeah, you. No, I was told this was going to be serious, and um, you know we had some tragedy yesterday because the guy that invented the windshield factor died, and uh, you know he was seventy five, but he felt like he was fifty four. So that was tough, you know, tough to hear. <laughs> but um, you know, so. hey Teddy, one of my all time faves, and I call this grandma safe. So for all the listeners, young or old, this is this is clean. Can you tell in your great Cajun fashion? Uh, the story about Clarence, the big bully he is. Yeah, so uh, so Boudreaux and Thibodeau are very famous uh, Cajuns here in Lafayette, Louisiana, and Clarence is known as a tyrant, you know. And so one day Boudreaux and Thibodeau were out back having a, a crawfish boil, and they looked across the levee, and there was Clarence giving the old, you know, bad gestures that sometimes people do. And <laughs> Boudreaux just had enough. He said, boy, I'm so tired of Clarence. Every time I try to have a crawfish boil, I look over, and there he is just giving me the bad gestures. <laughs> Thibodeau said, my boy, well, go ahead and handle your business. He said, I'm doing that. So he starts walking down the levee, and he's crossing the bridge, and Thibodeau's excited, boy. He's cracking some crawfish, watching. He said, oh, it's going to be a show, boy. But next thing you know, <laughs> old Boudreaux turned around when he got halfway across the bridge, and he came back. And Thibodeau said, my boy, I thought you was going to go handle your business with Clarence. He said, I was. But he said, I was crossing that bridge, and when I looked up, I saw a sign. It said, Clarence, nine foot two. That's a big man, boy. I ain't going over there. <laughs> oh, Boudreaux, um, that is great. So Weber, apart <laughs> apart from the humor, what's your favorite thing about Teddy? All right, so I had the joy of getting Teddy to caddy for me at Maui one year, and um, a couple things happened that week. <laughs> My mom's feedback was because we were in contention. I think we were in the last or second to last group on Sunday, and my mom was like, "I've never seen you laugh that much in four days." I'm like, "I know, Mom. Paulie Tesori's not that funny, and Teddy Scott is." <laughs> uh, but Teddy kept me relaxed. <laughs> Two highlights that week. One of them, I hadn't called Teddy in on a putt all week. I was kind of thinking, you know, one week with a new caddy, I'll just go ahead and read my own greens. We get to 14, the short, drivable par four up the hill. I got a four-footer, downhill, wind's blowing. I can't decide, is it straight, left center, right center? I said, Teddy, come take a look. So, you know, first time I'm calling a new caddy in, I'm thinking this guy's probably going to be nervous to be assertive. He stands over it for about two seconds. He looks right at me as if I'm dumb and says, it's left center. Knock it in. And I was so blown away with his confidence that I'm like, all right, it must be left center. I mean, no other read. And I knocked it right in the middle. And uh, so that was a great memory. And then also, just to highlight Teddy's heart for the gospel and for people uh, in his life, that was the week where Paul Tesori, my old caddy, um, 
his son was born and had major complications. They're in the hospital for a while. And so Teddy was there helping me out. And um, the Lord had put it on Ted's heart and his wife's heart to just whatever check Teddy made to donate it to Paul and Michelle. And um, so that was just, Teddy flew halfway around the world to caddy for me, but just honored Paul in, in, in doing something he didn't have to do. So that's just a little glimpse into who Ted Scott is, the generous man he is. And so that was a, a great week that I remember forever. And thankfully, the Lord's blessed them. Teddy finished 14th on the money list last year. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing all right now. Yeah, thank, um, thanks, William. It was 12th, but thanks for noticing. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, well, you, buddy, you've caddied on tour for close to 25 years. Tell us what you were doing before you caddied. Uh, I was a renaissance man. You know, I, I, I think I majored in seven different things in college and then eventually quit. Because I just <laughs> I just like so many different things. Um, but in 1999, I turned pro to teach golf because a lot of my friends were asking me to help them with their slice. And uh, I just happened to be playing really well at the time. And a guy asked me to start uh, playing professional golf. He said, man, I got money. I, I, you know, I think you should really go for it. So in 99, I turned pro to teach golf and ended up starting to play pro golf. So that was right before. And when I was 19 years old, I met an 18-year-old uh, guy who was extremely just impressive in everything, every way, you know, that he walked in life. And he told me, he said, Ted, every man is superior to me in some way. That way I can learn from them. And I thought that was really cool. And then he said, if you want to get better at something, find people better than you. So I just took those two things to heart. Like, you know, even a bum off the street can teach me something. And if I want to get better, find people who are better than me. So that's why I hang out with you guys whenever we're talking about spiritual things, you know, uh, golf things, um, you know, being a better husband. And so I just went to caddy for one week, just trying to learn, like, if I'm going to try to play, what do I need to do to get better? And uh, I quickly realized that I sucked. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, man, I'm way off. These guys are good. <laughs> okay, so before you got into full-time caddying, though, I, you got to tell us about foosball. Yeah, so like I said, kind of a renaissance person. I gravitate to all kinds of things. Um, I, I, just, I, I just find, you know – things that are new, fascinating, and people that are good at things, fascinating. And uh, my first semester of college, I went to McNeese State University. They redshirted me. I didn't really like being away from home. So I transferred back to Lafayette, to UL, the Raging Cajuns. Um, the high school, uh, my, one of my high school teammates, his dad was the coach at UL. So I asked him if he would allow me to walk on the team uh, my sophomore year. And he said, yes, absolutely. You're on the team. Consider it done. And so while I had that six months of you know no golf or whatever, uh, my neighbor in high school owned a pool hall and I was getting really good at pool, shooting a lot of pools, spending time with the third best player in the state, but I wasn't allowed to be in there after 6 PM. And so at starting at 6 PM, I was able to start being there once I turned 18. So when I came back from college, Hey, I told you that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I take this up. This is a beautiful picture. We'll yeah, that picture. Yeah. That's a sweet thing. That's, that's good timing. That's good. <laughs> William said, hey, get a good background. I said, I'll find a good background for you. So now I've got a field goal here. But anyway, I want to talk so much, you're probably going to end up taping this show. So anyway, uh, so, uh, so my neighbor on the pool hall, at turn 18, I was able to start being in there at, after 6 p.m. And basically, uh, while I was shooting pool, there would be three foosball tables in the back, and people were just screaming at each other. And it was like, what, what's going on back there? It was so exciting. So I went back there and watched them play, and I was just fascinated by the skill level. So I tapped some random person on the shoulder and said, excuse me, uh, who can teach me how to do this? And he said, go talk to that guy. And so I went to talk to Harry Milliman, and Harry said, uh, you know, 
he'll teach me if he would just, if I would just play in his tournaments every Monday and Thursday. And I said, well, how much does that cost? He said, five bucks. I said, here we go. My new coach. <laughs> so started playing foosball every Monday and Thursday, fell in love with it. Uh, quit playing golf for three years, started traveling around the country, playing in tournaments and uh, ended up winning three state championships and the world championship in 94 in amateur doubles. And uh, world champion. state championships. Yeah, we won three state championships in doubles, and I ended up winning one in singles, and it was oh it was just a lot Lord. of fun. Talk to us about the calluses on the hand, you know, when you first start playing foosball. Yeah, well, you actually don't get them. It's not like golf because uh, we actually use a tennis wrap, believe it or not, the thing that they oh. put around tennis. So it's very spongy. Uh, you put it on there because when you start sweating, the wooden handles get really slippery. So we wrap them before okay. each match with that. So it's it's pretty soft on your hands, unlike How golf. It- how illegal is it to spin it as hard as you can like most people do? It's 100%. But if anybody's spinning, I got them. I can take them. They I'll let them cheat. You can cheat. You're not going to beat me. It's like trying to cheat against Webb Simpson and Ben Crane in golf. You're not going to win. Ben, Ben, what's what do you look for? What's the equivalent in pickleball where you walk up, you see a game? Like, What do you see where you're like, I got them? I mean, spinning the foosball deal, what, what do you see in pickleball? I think he saw it last Friday when we were playing with you, Webb. <laughs> when I looked across and I saw Webb Simpson on the other side. I'm like, That's it. Got this we got him. <laughs> Webb's got a nice speed-up game, but after he speeds one up and he just kind of watches it from the baseline, I'm like, hey, Webb, come on up yeah. here. We're going to play from the, from the kitchen line. I'm playing tennis, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Teddy, you started your, yourself a pickleball business. Tell us about that. Give a little quick shout out to that. Yeah, so Scotty kind of got into pickleball, and I played with him once, and I was like, man, this is really fun. Like every game I play, I, I love it. And uh, But I noticed um, I bought some paddles, and it looked like a five-year-old kid took a crayon and colored on them. And it was so <laughs> ugly, and I was like, I just paid 200 bucks for these four paddles each. And I was like, wow. <laughs> And they just looked, the graphics were so bad. And then every time I'd go play, I'd see people just had the plainest looking paddle. And my wife is very artistic and she likes tennis. And so I said, wouldn't it be cool to have a paddle that's like got some, you know, something neat about it. And uh, one day I just talked to a friend of mine that we go to church with and they were looking to get into some other business there in manufacturing, but they were kind of tired of the oil field industry. And um, so I mentioned to them and she came back with a dissertation on a text the next day of all the research they had done. And so we were like, okay, so the very first paddle we made was uh, for the Ryder Cup players and caddies, kind of to test it out. And my wife did the graphics, and it was just really cool and fun. And so that's that's how it all got started. I mean, none of us needed a job or anything, but but we really um, oh, we we wanted know. to serve oh, the Lord. Oh, we know. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you don't know about my other friends. Uh, but we wanted, we wanted to serve the Lord with it. And so we spent like three months trying to figure out a name, and we came up with Dominus, which is Latin for master. And... Uh, uh, the cool mantra that I have is the master came to serve mm, and pickleball you serve. Go. So it's got Love a little it. twist to it. Um, but yeah, it's just been really fun, uh, you know, doing that. And, and we're already doing, we have a charity paddle we designed. Um, we're giving a hundred percent of the proceeds to the people in Lahaina. We're actually sending um, youth to, uh, that were affected by the fires in Maui to a, a to a, um, a ministry that does um, athletics in the summertime. So all the proceeds will go to, help those kids that have been traumatized by that. So it's just a really cool way to kind of get people involved and get people out of the house and off their phones, you know, um, feel like fellowship is something that we don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. We watch people's lives on the phone. You know, we don't get out. Right. So pickleball is a great game because as you guys know, you could be a total beginner with any kind of hand-eye coordination and you can join in with people that are actually pretty decent. Whereas in tennis or golf or games like that, it's, 
if you're a year behind, you're so far behind. So I really like that aspect of it. And the whole team, we all, we all want to serve, you know, so it's, it's a cool, it's a cool relationship. I'm going to order my Dominus paddle today, bud. Yeah, baby. I used one yesterday with, did you? Yeah. With great success. Okay. I love it. So (laughs) translation, (laughs) I won. (laughs) All right. Well, let's, let's get into caddying a little bit. So Teddy, you, Tell us how you became a professional caddy full-time and then give us some highlights over the last 25 years. Yeah, so like every single thing I do in my life, um, I, I really don't know anything. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm just a guy that's curious. I'm very curious. And uh, when I wanted to get better at golf, I thought, you know, what's the best way to get better, find people better than you? Well, every year the web.com tournament would come to our hometown. So I just, I tried to do the money qualifier, didn't make it. And I actually had 102 fever Um but I called to see if I could caddy. They said, come out Tuesday and, you know, talk to the caddy master. Well, I, I didn't grow up where there's caddies. I didn't know what the caddy master was, but I'm not afraid to ask people. So I show up on Tuesday with 102 fever pre COVID. So they allowed me out there. And, uh, <laughs> where's and so the, ca- not- where's the caddy Dominus? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So I was like, Hey, where's the caddy master? Good, good pun there. I love that. And, uh, they were like, no, I don't know who this is. I couldn't find the guy. Finally, a friend of mine's driving by in a golf cart and, uh, he was a local pro. And I said, Hey, Kinley, you know where the caddy master is? He said, why are you looking at caddy? I said, Hey, he goes, well, here, meet Grant Waite. He had Grant Waite in the cart with him. No way. And so he says, yeah, he's I'm just awesome. Random passing. And so he says, uh, you know, Ted's a scratch golfer. He plays out here. He knows the course and Grant's like, perfect. I mean, on the web.com tour, you know, most of the time you got anybody to carry your bag. So he was desperate and, uh, I was Shout desperate to, to learn. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> so, uh, so the funniest thing was he, he told me, he explained to me with five, seven, 10, the percentages. And he told me, I'm going to pay you 500 bucks for the week. And I was like, Man, I'm not making 500 bucks for the week waiting tables right now. This is, this is pretty cool. And I'm getting a percentage of winnings. This is nuts. So he says, yeah, let me just go change my shoes and we'll go play nine holes. And I said, uh, today, <laughs> and he goes, yeah. I said, well, I, I could start on Thursday. So he just hired me <laughs> and I turned him down for a practice round because I was sick. And he's like, I mean, anybody else would have been like, okay, bud, just moving on. I'll find somebody else. Yeah. So he ends up getting someone to caddy for him on Tuesday uh, for nine holes. So he'd seen the front nine. He'd never seen the back nine. Wednesday's pro-am. He wasn't in the pro-am. Thursday, I'm watching this guy swing, warming up. And I'm like, who is this guy? I've never seen anybody hit a ball like this with a swing like this. So now we get to the 10th tee and I'm excited. I'm like, man, this, I'm going to learn so much from this dude. He's so good. And uh, so he's never seen the back nine. He says, hey, Ted, what's it to carry that bunker? You know, they're about to announce us. <laughs> I said, it's a two iron. And he said, <laughs> well, it might be a two iron for you, but I don't know how far you hit a two iron. I said, okay. <laughs> so he goes, Ted, I go, oh, what's up? He goes, how far is it? I go, oh, uh, it's about 200. He goes, about 200? <laughs> how far is it in your yardage book to cover that bunker? I said, I don't have a yardage book. He goes, you don't have a yardage book. You got to get a yardage book. Where do I even get a yardage book? He goes, the pro shop. I'm like, so I sprint to the pro shop. It's like 200 yards. I ran it in about 11.2 it's seconds. It's about a two hour. It's about a two hour to cover. And so I, I go, I go to the pro shop. I come back huffing and puffing. I played a few mini tour events. So I know what to read a yardage book. I just didn't have one. So I open it up. I'm like, it's 203 to cover the bunker, about 200, right? Yeah. And he pulls out a two iron. I'm like, what am I doing here? What, what, what doing? Doing? <laughs> like, why do you just made me sprint the fastest 200 in history? I beat Usain Bolt and you did exactly what I said. And it was about 200. Like, what the heck? So, Grant Waite birdies the first <clears throat> hole, pars the second hole. 
birdies the third hole. So we're two under through three. And I'm like, man, those first couple holes are pretty rough. Well, now he's on the 13th hole. He says, what's this hole? Well, you know, good caddy's going to explain to him what this hole was. So first thing I said was, this is the hardest par four on the nationwide tour every single year. It's the highest scoring average. It's 4.78. The nickname of this hole, it's called Gator's Jaw. You're going to see if you hit it left here, it is dead. I mean, in this green, you're probably going to three putt. And then throw it right because obviously there's water there. And I'm, I'm literally, this is not, no exaggeration. I'm telling him. All. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, man, I thought you want me to tell you about this hole. He goes, listen, man, no hole's hard if you execute. Every hole's hard if you don't. I'm like, that, that's what I'm here for. How does that go again? He's like, Ted, focus. I'm like, but, but no, I, need that, I need that saying real quick. But the, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. So you want to you want to hit it right here? He's like, what driver? I said, no. He goes, three wood. Yeah. So three seconds later, his ball lands on this mound. That's like a three foot mound, right where I told him to hit it. He hits an eight iron to a foot. I'm like, oh, okay, execution, cool. So now he's three under through four. We go to the 14th hole. It's a par five. He hits driver five iron to 12 feet and makes it for eagle. So we're oh five under through five. Gosh. So I'm like, man, number one, I'm really good at caddying, obviously. You are number so two, good, Teddy. Oh, I am amazing. I was like, this is my new gig for sure. I am gifted at this. Um, yardage book or no yardage book. So so now we're walking to the next tee, you know, because he he made the putt and the other guys are grinding over their short ones. And and I said, hey, I got to go use the porta potty. And I pulled out my Nokia flip phone and I called Melanie, my, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and said, hey, just, just, just curious what? What's ten percent of ninety thousand? I'm just, I'm just want to make sure I get the math right on this. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I had to really try to focus. Um, but the funniest part of the whole story was uh, Grant was so nice to me. He actually got me on the range, hitting balls, checking out my swing, and encouraging me to go for it. And you can do it. And he was awesome. Taught me a lot about how to caddy, what to write down, all the little things. He was, he was just amazing. And uh, so Sunday, I was like, man, I, I need to show this guy my gratitude. I'd never been on time a day in my life. I showed up every day for him late, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was like a few <laughs> minutes late. It's just kind of was my mantra. Um, so so Sunday, I'm like, I'm going to get there early. You know, like I so I get there early, 10 minutes before he wants me there. I walk in. Sure enough, I see the first person that's been following us, one of my best friends who's always late. who was always early, always fussing at me about being early. I meant about being late. So he's like, you're late, you're late. I said, Cameron, no, bud, not today. Like, I am here early. I'm 10 minutes early. He actually wants me here an hour early. I'm an hour and 10 minutes early. He says, last night was daylight savings time. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm late. Oh, no. So, yeah, so I literally showed up 10 minutes before his tea time. He was picking his bag up and walking towards the first tea, and I, I kind of, like, snuck up. and like, you know how you do, like, you kind of want somebody to notice you, but you don't make eye contact. I was just kind of like... <laughs> You know, and he's like, oh, fancy seeing you here, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and he's like, oh, I was wondering if you were going to show up. And I was like, yeah, I, I didn't realize it was daylight savings time last night. <laughs> and he, he's like, you still want me to carry him? He's like, come on. So, uh, so yeah, so he actually had me carry his club on Sunday. And here I am 25 years later doing it. So it was pretty oh, wild. Oh, my word. That's and such a good story. A lot of people, Teddy, a lot of people remember the Tiger Woods shot in 2000 at the Canadian Open out of the bunker, over the water. Everybody says it's one of the best shots ever. We all know as golfers, it wasn't his best shot. Yeah. Little do people know that you were on Grant's bag. Y'all finished, what, second? Yeah, we finished second the week before, and then we got paired with him on Sunday, um, tied for the lead. The tournament record was 18 under. We were both 15 under, and uh, Grant shot six under that day, beat the tournament record by three. And Gosh. still lost, so uh, it was crazy. It was a it was a battle. It was amazing, um, you know. And that was three months into caddying. I mean, I went from not having a yardage book to walking inside the ropes during Tiger Woods' greatest, you know, 
stretch of golf he'd ever had. So it was pretty fascinating to do that. Now, when that shot came out of the bunker, were you in the like were y'all in the fairway? You had a pretty good eye on it. And- yeah, I was probably twenty five yards away, and when it, when okay. he hit it, and he had that that weird like save finish, and it came out right, I was like, oh. We just won. Like, oh, no, it's right at the pin. Oh boy! And then it landed, and everybody erupted. I was like, "Oh shoot, we're second. We got second." We got second. <laughs> honey, but, what's uh, se- was- seven percent on second? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, well played. Let me get my Nokia out. Hey, another question for you, sweetheart. Oh, uh, so good. Well, after Grant Wait, then Azinger, and then after Azinger, Bubba. Um, and hey, I got to pause on Zinger. <laughs> Okay. I got to pause on Zinger because one of my all-time top five favorite Teddy Scott stories is Zinger playing with um, Nick Price. Can you tell that one? Oh, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> so so Paul Azinger, back in his heyday, is playing with Nick Price, and uh, he hits this putt, and it's like a you know little nasty little like four or five-footer that's slider, those little fast ones that are just scary as all get out. And he hits it, and Nick Price can't believe it. He's Zingy, let me tell you, I've never seen concentration like that, man. That was amazing. <laughs> Paul's kind of like, what? Are, what are you saying? Like, you know, it's a tough putt, but like, you've never seen that like that. He says, when that butterfly landed on your ball and you just went ahead and putted, that was incredible. He goes, all right, man, don't tell anybody, but I got the yips. I'm putting with my eyes closed right now. I never saw it. <laughs> so that is great, hilarious. <laughs> all right, so Weber, you've been paired with Teddy. A number of times in in team events when Ke- Teddy was caddying for Bubba. So any yeah. fun memories for so either of I, you guys from those? I remember <laughs> when when Teddy was transitioning uh, about to, and Bubba was asking me like who I should hire as a caddy. And so Brett Walden and I were like thinking about it, thinking about it, and we were like, "Hey, I think you should give this guy Teddy Scott a try." I mean, that was <laughs> yeah. I mean, Creed set me up on a blind date, so that's that it. definitely I mean, helped. That was a, that was a good day. That's That's a great day. For both of them. Well, my first team event was 2011 President's Cup uh, in Australia. And what I remember most about getting, you know, having Bubba as a partner and Teddy out there as well, like Teddy being a believer honestly brought a lot, and Bubba, they brought a lot of comfort for me as a first-timer in the President's Cup and then 2012 first-time in the Ryder Cup. Because Polly, my caddy's a believer. I got Bubba and Teddy, they're believers. We're out there for the same purpose, to honor, glorify the Lord. And so I knew Teddy was praying for me. Um, and we, you know, Teddy's just laid back, funny personality was really exactly what I needed as a first timer. Um, and, you know, Melbourne was amazing. Bubba and I won the, our first three matches and we got put out again. So we, and we lost the four. So we went three and one as a team the first year, which was amazing. And then 2012 Medina. I'll never forget it as long as I live. We get to the first tee. There's been no talk of this. And all of a sudden, Bubba looks over. You know, Teddy stands usually on the left side because Bubba's left-handed. So we're, we're going to stick together for the week. So Paul and I are on the left side. So I tee off. Bubba tees his ball up. And he looks over towards our direction. You can tell he's looking at Teddy. And he kind of like gives like kind of the should I look. And I look at Teddy and Teddy's like like that. Which meant Bubba got the crowd as loud as he could on their feet, and he just wanted them to just yell. So it was the loudest environment I've ever been <laughs> in, and he wanted to hit with you know the crowd being that loud. So that was an amazing memory. Um, and then a funny memory from Ryder Cup 2014 at Glen Eagles. <clears throat> I'm clearly nervous. I pop it up on the first tee, um, 
literally pop up. Three would win about 180 right down the four, middle. Four, Lord. Four, Lord. <laughs> I mean, so, just a little idiot mark on top of your club. Yeah. But, uh, Justin Rose had three wood out. He went back to the bag, got the driver, just as much mass as he could get. But anyways, <laughs> Teddy knows I'm nervous. We get to the second tee. Teddy's like, hey, come here. Come here. You and Bubba, come here. And uh, he goes, hey, I have the key today. And I'm like, great. What? I mean, what do we got? What, what's our strategy? You know, we're leaning in. And he pulls out his hotel room key. He goes, see, I have the key. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> And so that that was exactly what I needed to calm down. But, uh, man, so many great memories uh, playing with Bubba and Teddy, and they were an amazing team. Um, but I'd love to hear from Teddy just, you know, some some things people might not know about Bubba or hardest thing, best thing about caddying for one of the game's greats the last 20 years. Yeah, I think a couple things. Um, day one, you know, like I said, Ben Crane set us up on a blind date. And, uh, and so the very first day I caddied for him, he pulls up, uh, at the Deutsche Bank tournament and I'd never met him and he gets out of the car and kisses Angie and gets his bag out and he goes, what's up, bud? And just starts walking, never shook my hand. I was just like, what? You okay. Like, and then I was like, is it, do I grab the clubs? And it, well, here, here we go. Like, and I was just kind of like, Oh, and, uh, you know, he didn't talk to me much the first like 30 minutes, you know, it was just kind of a weird way. And then once I got to know his dad. Um, his dad had, you know, uh, fought in Vietnam and had post-traumatic stress disorder. He was a special forces Green Beret captain and he had a lot of fears and stress from that experience. And he really taught that to Bubba, you know, he taught Bubba to be on high alert, you know, don't trust people. So that was a lot of stuff that Bubba had to overcome in his life. And the Lord really helped him with those things. And so, um, you know, one of the things about me is I, I'm a sucker for somebody that wants to get better at something. I can suffer with you if, as long as you're trying to move the ball down the field. As soon as you quit trying to move up that ball down the field, I'm, I don't, I don't want to be a part of it, you know. So, if you're complaining but you're like, I want to do something about it, perfect. If you're complaining and you don't, I'm out. And Bubba would complain and fuss, and but he was always trying to get better. And that, that was like, dude, let's do this. Let's, let's dig in together. And so, uh, a lot of tough things about his personality um, because of those fears. But in the end, you know, God really turned him around and changed him and helped him and helped him get over that. But one of my favorite stories about Bubba just showing like how much he's afraid of people and crowds and things like that is, you know, he hits the the drive on the first playoff uh, on the 10th hole at Augusta in 2012 through the trees. And we get over there and I'm like, wow, this is like pretty easy shot for Bubba to hit a big duck hook. You know, it's, he'll hit those from the middle of the fairway. So this is nothing, you know, <laughs> um, but I know from experience that if I don't have my, my bag on my shoulder when he swings and get out ahead of him, uh, they'll they'll close in the, you know the patrons will close in and i'll be done you know i'll be fighting through for two minutes trying to figure out how to get through here because they're so excited so i had my shoulder bag on my shoulder he hits a shot i start walking i right when i get just past the trees i see his ball land and spin up the hill and i'm like oh my gosh dude that was sick you know and i know louis got a really hard chip because it's so fast from back to front on that on that green it's just weird you know it's like you can't realize it's tough to realize how quick that chip is so I'm thinking, man, we got a pretty good shot here at winning this tournament with a two putt. And uh, now I'm just waiting for Bubba. He's walking. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Jeffersons, but, you know, George Jefferson had this swagger when he'd walk, you know, like he, you know, and Bubba had this <laughs> tough look like I'm like, oh, he's in it. You know, he's in it. He's fired up, you know, I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to hear what he says when he sees his ball. So I'm I'm kind of like, you know, waiting for him, like he's going to see his ball. This will be sick. You know, this is going to be a cool <laughs> reaction. He's, he's in it. He's walking and he sees his ball and he looks at me and he goes, 
these people are touching me. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, it was so funny, you know. I was just like, what, what are you talking about, dude? About to win the Masters. I let everybody oh. touch me. Hey, that was a Ricky, great reaction. Ricky Tyler and I are behind the 10th green, and we we see him hit it, and then we see it take off, and we're kind of back left of the green. So the ball looked like it started right at us. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So Ricky and I literally, like, are going like, oh, man, this could, this could hit us, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden, like, we hear the thud, and we're like, that was over there. That's on the green, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden, we see it spin up the hill. We're like, dang. Yeah. must have 40 yards. Pretty sick. So, Teddy, you've won three of them, two with Bubba, one with Scotty. What are some just favorite memories at Augusta? Obviously, that's a big one. Any, any other moments that are just marked in your mind? One of the funniest things I'll probably ever see that will never get out of my mind, we were paired with uh, Sergio and Calcavecchia, <laughs> and uh, Calc is playing unbelievable. He is just, like, kicking Bubba and, and Sergio's butt. He, and it's Friday, and we, we get the pins on the front left on twelve. And 12, as you know, is just such a hard hole. I mean, the wind's everywhere. They did a sports science on it. You know, it's just like uh, he's probably four under for the tournament playing great, you know, uh, and he stripes this beautiful iron shot right at him. I'm like, go in. You know, it's just going in. It lands one foot short, comes back in the water. And uh, and now we're like, oh, you know, you feel bad for him because he hit such a good shot and caught a shift. You just, you know, it's golf, right? Um, so. Bubba and, and Sergio hit the green. Well, next thing you know, Calc goes over and takes his drop and, you know, he kind of gets enough room to spin it. So he's like 80 yards and hits it in there, foot short, back in the water. I'm oh, like, goodness, dude. Well, the next one he hits, hits it like four feet, spins back. We're like, stay on the green. You know? <laughs> so it spins back and uh, he's he's out. He's just in the way of Bubba and Sergio's line. So now he has to make that 80-yard walk and, you know, it's steam and, you know, just – and so he gets up there and he reaches in his pocket to get his coin. And you know how we've all been like, it's like the magic spot that your coin goes to. You're like, where is this thing at? You know, and he's digging and they're both just kind of waiting, like, you know, we're ready to putt, but you've been sword fighting for him doing all this stuff. <laughs> so he's digging, he's digging, he's digging. He can't find his coin. And he just gets so mad. He just literally makes a fist in his pocket and goes, Rah! and his whole little confetti explosion of tease and the divot tool just, and it just like stuff flew everywhere and now he's looking and he's like there's my coin yeah so he picks his coin up puts his down marks his ball night clean up on l6 clean up on l6 so he gets everything out of the way and we're kind of like you know you don't want to laugh but it's funny right you know it's like we've all been there we've all been that person so you're not laughing at him you're like man we look stupid when we do that so we're kind of giggling so he puts all his stuff back in his pocket and he starts walking and as he's walking stuff is falling out of his pant leg out of his ankle he's losing tees again and now we're really laughing and we look and he split his pants he's just ripped this a whole a giant hole in his pants in his pocket and he's just headless you know and he hasn't hit a bad shot that's the that's the worst part about it i'm like golf golf sucks you know like i mean you shoot a good shot at basketball it is going in you know like yeah. in golf he hit three good shots and he's about to make a triple or whatever it's like i ah. mean he should have walked off the hole 500 for the tournament he's probably one yeah. over yeah, that's right. But it's it was the church laugh where you're not supposed to laugh. So you like we're all turning around going, you know, <laughs> doing everything we can to not laugh at him. But it's like you just want to be like, that's so funny. You know? like, I'm so sorry. But this is hilarious. <laughs> so, you know, that was a really fun memory at Augusta. And then uh, and then I say, like, obviously, you know, Bubba's hit some just amazing shots, um, you know, over over time there because he's so creative. It's It's really cool to see how he 
how he would hook a ball from the middle of the fairway and use a slope and spin it sideways and it'd come down to three feet and you're just going, what in the world, you know? Mm. Um, and then probably one of the funniest moments was uh, Scotty on 18. You know, I'd, I'd heard, <laughs> it's terrible caddying here. <laughs> I'd heard like this one caddy's like, you know, whenever my guy was winning Augusta, like I'm like, you know, take it all in, you know, just look around, take it all in, you know, you got this. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. So we got this four shot lead or whatever. <laughs> Scotty hits it down the middle, hits it on the green. I'm like, bro, let's take it in, you know, let's take it all in, you know. So he hits his first putt from up, from up top down there and he, and he, he says, sorry, dude, I was trying to make that. He puts it like six feet by, but now he's got a six footer up the hill. I'm like, yeah, perfect, you know. So uh, now Cam's kind of surveying his putt and I, we're standing on the front of the green and we turn around and look down the hill and I'm like, bro, take it all in. You know, I'm using that same thing. I'm like, I'm trying to pretend it's my idea. He's like, yeah, man, this is really cool. You know, like, yeah, dude, just absorb it. You know, then he gets up and pew, hits that first next putt like two and a half feet by. I'm like, okay. And he gets up, pew, hits it two and a half feet by. And I, now I walk over. I'm like, hey, what's going on, man? What's going on? He goes, I'm good. I'm like, no, no, seriously. Like, just lag this next one really close. Like quit hitting it so hard. That's what I said to him. I go, just, just get it close, man. Like with, we don't have to. And he goes, how many shots do I have? I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just kidding. He goes, I'm going to focus and bury this one. I'm like, oh, okay. But if you don't just hit it close and he buried it. I'm like, oh, okay. Hey, we did it. You know? And then later come to find out, he's like, Teddy totally distracted me. Got me out of my moment. He's like, take it all in. You know, like, I'm like, my bad, bro. So I learned a lesson there. Like, let's finish it before we take it all in. That's right. That's so good. <laughs> well, Terrible. take take us a little little bit into the first part of that day. You know, in his post round interview, he talked about how emotional of a day it was for him. So, yeah, what role did you play, just being an anchor for him? Yeah, so I think um, you know one of the things that experience gives you is it gives you a heart to recognize that this isn't the end all be all. You know, uh, Webb and been here can attest to it. You you know, the highest highs as a golfer still doesn't satisfy your soul. It's mm. fun. It, it's a, it's a great moment in your life, a great fun time, but it just doesn't last. And I know that because Bubba called me uh, two weeks after he won the masters the second time. And he said to me with a broken heart, what's the point? What's the point of winning the masters thinking that maybe if I win it a second time, it'll satisfy me. And not that he didn't enjoy winning the Masters. He wants to win it again. But it was like it was like a, a conversation that woke me up spiritually to say, mm. yeah, it's, not, it's not quite it. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that and Scotty being young and thinking, if I win the Masters, then, it, then it's it. You know, then I'll get what I want. Um, that helped me to ha- have a, an understanding of like what he's probably thinking. Because we all think like, if I can get this, if I can get that job, if I can make that money, if I can win that tournament, if I can get the pretty girl, have the highest, the biggest boat or whatever then I'll be satisfied. So we all mm-hmm. have that seed from the world, right? So I knew that going in that he's probably thinking that and it's, you know, the prestige of the masters, which I love and it's awesome. Um, so anyway, uh, the night before I got a phone call from Meredith's father and he said, Hey, we got four extra tickets. Would you be, would you want them? And I said, yeah. So I went and I'm thinking, he goes, would you mind if I say a prayer? And I was like, sure. You know, and I'm thinking, he's probably going to be like, I pray, Lord, that Scotty wins by five, you know, like most people pray. <laughs> and, he, and his prayer was like, I just pray for peace for Scotty and Teddy tomorrow. Whatever happens, your will be done. And I was like, wow, what a cool mm. father-in-law. Like, that was amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. And that kind of set my heart in motion. And then uh, AJ Montesino, caddies on tour, and Y.A. Yang held the bag up and they beat Tiger in the PGA. Uh, he has a he has a, sh- uh, a, a clothing company and it's G-I-I-C, God is in control. 
So when we got to the first tee, you know, I I didn't know that Scotty had been through everything until the interview afterwards. But, you know, you kind of know that people are going to have a long sleep, a long, tough day when you're teeing off in the afternoon to win any golf tournament. So right when we we got to the first tee, I unzipped that, you know, that uh, bib and I, and I showed him, hey, you know, two things, G-I-I-C. I said, number one, God is in control. Like he has this. No matter what mm-hmm. happens, it's his will. And yeah. we're good with that. So I try to just remember, like, it's his will. Whatever happens, his will be done. We're, we're good with that because that's where that's who gives us the peace. And then the second time is I, I told him, the second thing I said was, look, you've, you're you prepared for this moment. You, mm-hmm. you know, It's not like you haven't studied. You know, we're all nervous when we go to take that math test, hoping we get an A. But if you studied, you're like, yeah, I'm nervous, but I'm, dude, I studied. I know math. Yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know golf, bro. You, you're prepared for this. It's not like you showed up and you haven't practiced. You're ready for this. So if you keep those two things in mind, we'll have a great day. So that was how I tried to help him, you know, to begin that day and uh, come to find out, you know, Meredith really gave him the best advice, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that was really cool. So, and, and Teddy, I mean, you've been around a lot of great athletes, a lot of great golfers and, you know, to get to the level of PJ tour, obviously you have to be ultra competitive, but what I've heard about Scott is he is one of the most competitive people that a lot of people who know him say that they've ever met. I mean, would you agree with that? Dude, he is a psycho competitor. So much so, he won't even play me in ping pong or pickleball anymore because he's, he just kills me. And he's just like, you know, I want somebody good. You know, like he doesn't want to just – he wants to beat you five, you know, 21 to five in, in ping pong. But then after he does it a few times, he realizes you're no competition. He's just like, all right, I'm done playing with you. You're no, you're no fun. But my favorite story is the Byron Nelson. We played there one year and uh, him and Sam Burns are best friends. And they're, we're outside playing in the pool, pool volleyball. It's, you can stand in his, he has a net, you know, the whole way. And it's two on two. So it's Scotty and I versus Sam and another friend of his. And we, it took us a while to figure out the rules because the pool's a little too big. So we kind of figured out, okay, about here is out, you know, and this is how you have to touch it twice. And there's no this. And so it got to where it was really competitive, long points. It was like, we figured out some cool rules. Well, next thing you know, Sam hits this lob over our head. And Scotty's like out, and Sam's like, "No, it's not. It's in." And he's like, "No, it's out." And they start having an argument, and they're they're both competitive. And I'm kind of <laughs> like, "This is my first year caddy for Scotty." I'm like, "Wow, he's kind of into this argument, you know." And he literally <laughs> takes the volleyball from like ten feet and launches it at Sam's face as hard as he can. And Sam's quick; he ducks under the water, and then Sam finds the ball and launches it back at Scotty. And next thing you know, the two of them are swimming towards each other. They're like number one and number six in the world at the time. And I'm guys, guys, man. they're like, I'll kill you. And I'm like. It's pool volleyball. Like who cares? You know, like but it's like that's the competitive nature of them. And uh, you know, I've never heard Scotty talk about like I got this house or I want this or he just he truly wants to play. Hey, you want to play cards? You know, you want to (laughs) play basketball? You want to? It just wants to compete, and he doesn't care about fame or money. He just wants to beat you at something, and he wants you to be good. He doesn't want to beat you if you're bad. He wants to beat you if you're good. So crazy competitive. That is awesome. How impressive is it what he's done in golf the last two years? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really amazing um, because especially because when I first started working for him, he told me, he said, I'm not a very good ball striker. And after week one, I was like, buddy, <laughs> are you sure you're not a very good ball striker? I was like, who's telling you this? You know, like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, you hit everything directly at the tree that I'm pointing at, driver included, you know. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was, it was just kind of interesting how we perceive ourselves and, and uh, but, you know, he, he's a very confident man. You know, he has a lot of belief in himself and he's a really hard worker, like super hard worker, humble. He'll, he'll ask for help. He's not afraid to tell, you know, his team, look, I'm struggling with this. You know, can you help me? Let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. So he's just got a really cool heart to be great. And uh, yeah, it's been, 
been amazing to stand, you know, just like when I was caddying for Bubba, like I consider myself very blessed just to watch somebody that good uh, in their element and be able to stand next to him and really just watch him that close has been fascinating. Mm. Yeah. And we've seen his, his shots, games, um, ball striking, and it's a heater like, Almost like we've never seen before. It's absolutely in- incredible. What do you feel like within ball striking? What do you feel like his absolute secret sauce is? Long irons, mid irons, short irons. You know, um, I would, I would say distance control. Really? Yeah he he'll get on the normalized track man, and uh, you know Randy will challenge him. His coach Randy Smith um, will challenge him, and he gives him a two yard window. And they'll bet twenty bucks a shot, and Randy can't can't win. You know, just oh landing it with any gosh. club. He'll give it. He'll shoot. Say a number, any club, two but, yards. You know, and he'll give him two yards on either side. So it's a four yard window, two yards plus, two yards minus, and he'll he'll smoke him. One ninety eight. Wow. You're like, uh, that's a long way. Yeah. That's a hard shot. Yeah, yeah, it is. But he's just got such a crazy feel for how, uh, you know how how hard to hit it, and he's. He hits the ball in the center of the face, you know, really well. Like, you know, it's not say, it's great, not a lot great. of toes and heels. When you have control, that means that, the, yeah, the center of the face is being hit over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah, which is really weird because he takes off running before he swings, so it's kind of strange. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, fellas, we could talk, we could talk golf all day, but let's let's move <clears throat> it to faith stuff. We're gonna get in the word here in just a minute, but Teddy, last question in this banter time. What role does your faith play in your work? You're you're clearly unashamed of being a follower of Christ. Just tell us, yeah, what role your faith plays and how you try to leverage your your platform for the glory of Christ. Yeah, two things, William. Uh, one, you know, the Bible says, "To whom much is given, much is required." And when Bubba asked me that question in fourteen, like, what's the point? I didn't have an answer, but I told him the point is for you to go and use this for God's mm-hmm. glory. Yep. And that was like, wow, that's good advice. I need to do that in my own life, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that's where the satisfaction comes is like, hey, life is tough. You know, um, golf is tough. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the shot Cal kid. He did everything right. And he made it like a triple or a quad on that hole. And maybe Bissica, I can't remember. But life is the same way. You can be doing the right things, um, you know, treating people well, treating people as other people want to be treated as you want to be treated. I mean, you know, you can be doing all the right things and, you get a flat tire, or you get an accident, or you get cancer. Or, you know, it's so. I think for for me, I can't imagine now. I wasn't a Christian when I started caddy and found the Lord, or He found me. I can't imagine going through life in any aspect without having some reason behind what's going on and having mm-hmm. some hope behind what's mm-hmm. going on. So for me, the two things are one: I need to have some kind of belief that's like, man, it's going to be okay, and two, I want to. I want to find the, a way to help others find that same peace that surpasses all understanding because I, I've seen it myself. I've had some really tough things I've gone through and God used that to mold me, shape me and help me understand, Hey, it's, I got you, bud. Mm-hmm. And so now I just want to share that with others. So that's the two things that faith has really done for me is help me. And then now I want to help other people. Mm. Love that. Okay. Well, that leads us perfectly into our Bible time for today. And instead of plugging along in our Ephesians series, which is what we've been doing the last few weeks, um, our hope going forward is once a month to have a guest like Teddy and to let him pick his favorite verse or favorite passage. And so Teddy's favorite verse is Romans chapter eight, verse 28. 
So as we do each week, before we walk through it, Ben, if you'll just pray for us, and then we'll take a few minutes in Romans 8, 28. Yeah. Lord God, thanks for this time. Thanks um, that we could be a mutual encouragement to each other. I pray for all the listeners and for the four of us, Lord, that we would um, see, um, have the eyes to see and the heart to understand and believe mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what your word says. Uh, yep. We know that it doesn't return void and it comes from you. So yep. um, we thank you that it is God breathed and is useful to us in every way. So thanks for this time. I ask you blessing in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right, Weber, Romans eight twenty eight. What's that verse say? All right, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, so let's just slow down and understand this awesome verse, one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. Um, first things first, the primary idea, all things work together for good. Okay, so before we get to who this promise is for, let's talk about what it means. So what does it mean, simply put, that all things work together for our good? I mean, this this verse should transform the way we think about um, what happens in our life. The good things, the things that we think are bad, um, our sin, um, the sanctification process, everything that's happening is under the control of God and from the goodness of God. And it's for our good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. Every mm-hmm. single circumstance that we face, every single thing that we go through, every win, every loss, all the challenges, all the victories, all of every re- relationship that's a success, every relationship that's a failure, everything that we come up against in life, God says, will work together for our good. Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you look into the Greek and you look at this word all, you know what it means, Weber? It means all. It means all. Okay. All things work together for good. Teddy, okay. Teddy, write that down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's something you can learn. Yeah, all means all. Put that in okay. my yardage book if I ever get one. Um, <laughs> it's it's about a two iron away. Um, okay. And then who is this true for? Who is, who is it true for that all things work together for good for who? For Christians. For Christians. For those called according to his purpose. Yes, for those who love God and for those who are called according to his pur- purpose. Only Christians get to experience this in full. Um, J.I. Packer says it this way. It's an awesome quote. He says, God does some good to all people, but he does all good to some people. I mean, that's mm. on the money right there. It's on the money. He does all good to some people. Everybody gets some blessings from God. He, he makes it rain on the just and the unjust, as we see in Matthew 5. But to yep. some, to his saints, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, he only ever does good for them. I mean, every single thing that comes their way, he works for good. That, to the Christian who's listening, there is never one second of your life where God is not always working for your good, where he does not always have your best interests in mind, where he is not building you up to be more like Christ. I mean, what a sweet promise. Yes. And it, it's a Sweet promise when we think about the fact that this world, as a Christian, we know that this is a broken world. Yeah. And there are things going on in us, around us, all day long that are evil. And it's like, for that promise to still be true is a miracle. It's a miracle. Amen. Quickly. I'd like to share something. So if you don't mind, uh, 
Dave Yearwood is a pro surfer that I had met at the tour Bible study one time, and he shared a cool image of this exact thing. He said he makes surfboards, and the way they start it is with a, a giant piece of foam, just a rectangle piece of foam. And he said, you know, at first I have to figure out what kind of surfboard am I making. So is it a longboard, shortboard? Am I, what's the purpose of the surfboard? But he goes, once I start making it, every single tool in my garage is abrasive. I got saws, sandpaper, grinders. And he mm. said, I'm constantly shaving and grinding. And it's like, and it, I promise you the foam doesn't feel good. But in the end, it's a beautiful work of art with designed for a specific purpose. That's and it. it's such a cool picture of what all things is. You know, it's like sometimes the lumps don't feel good. It's like, gosh, that kind of hurt, man. That, that's what that person said or what I had to go through or my mom passed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in the end, God said it was finished on the cross. And, you know, we're going to be reunited with him and glorified. And so it's like, wow, it's pretty spectacular what's going on mm-hmm. if you have that picture in mind. Yeah. Amen. Lo- love that image. Um, okay. Quickly, before we get to the question, what good is God working everything toward? I just want one of you guys to answer, how do you know if you're called? You know, like if this promise is for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, how do we know if we're one of the called ones? I think if we're called, it means that we've been chosen by God. How do we know we're chosen by God? It's because we start to realize and, and believe that what God did on the cross, he did for us. Mm-hmm. And and when that happens, we know functionally we get the Holy Spirit um, that comes mm-hmm. to live inside of us. So that means that we're we're one of the called ones. Mm-hmm. Yes. Perfectly said, Ben. If you have looked to Jesus Christ in faith and you've said what he did, he did for me. If all your, your hope and life and death is in him and mm-hmm. he's made you alive by his spirit, you're one of these ones that God is only ever going to do good to. Mm-hmm. So this promise is for you. Now, th- this promise is a little bit dangerous if we take it out of context, isn't it? Yeah. Because how we define totally. good is is where the money's at. If we think good only means comfort or pleasure or success or, or health or wealth or whatever, we're going to be really let down. And verse 29 tells us what the good is that God is working everything toward. So what Mm -hmm. does verse 29 say? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay. So what good is God working everything toward in our life to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is what God is up to in your life, friend, no matter what you're going through. He is working like that surfboard, chiseling things down for two main purposes. Number one, that you would know him more. Yeah. And, and number two, that you would be made more like him. Mm-hmm. Everything in your life is working toward that great end. The victories work toward that end so that you see every good gift comes from God and the difficulties work toward that end. So you see, even in hardship, God is with me and he's shaping Mm -hmm. me to become who he's made me to be. Um, That's our highest possible good. There is not a greater good than knowing Christ and being made more like Christ. Mm -hmm. So, um, Teddy, let's go to you. Why is this your favorite verse in the Bible? Mm. I, I think because um, one of the things that's happened to me in my life since I was a young kid is that people would just come to me and start sharing their problems, um, sharing their difficulties. And I don't know why that is. Um, I had someone call me yesterday and told me they were suicidal. You know, it's, this is a common thing in my life. And, mm. uh, you know, I just think of like, and most of the time, you know, people are just going through normal stuff that they just feel like they can't deal with. So it's like, how do I give them a hope 
mm-hmm. going forward that it's going to be okay? How do I help them see the picture? You know, instead of like, hang in there, bud. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if I have the word that pierces our heart and our soul and I can speak that, speak that to them. Yep. So I feel like it's my favorite verse because it's the verse I get to use the most um, mm-hmm. in my own life and also to share with other people because uh, it's one of those things where you're just like, man, they, they really need to hear this, that there's a hope. And that hope is, you know, I'm not done with you yet. You know, mm-hmm. all things are working for your good, Christian. You know, yeah. and I'm not, this, the story's not over. Um, you know, it sounds funny, but Bubba, to just because we're doing a golf podcast, he won two golf tournaments on the PGA Tour out of his 12 and he started off both of those tournaments double bogey bogey wow the story's not over the story's not over you know we don't know just because this happened it doesn't mean this but we're right. quick as christians as humans as golfers to be like oh well i might as well go home now i mean i'm double bogey this hole i mean it's over i'm missing the yep. cut you know or, right. or like oh you know might as well kill myself or whatever it is but it's like hey let's let's calm down and right. let's remember that God tells the story, not you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's the it's a great ending. You know, we're going to be reunited, and mm. that's the hope that I'm trying to give people and give myself daily. You know, because I I got my own struggles. That's yeah. right, man. Well said, fellas. Quickly talk about how this verse has proved true in your life. So maybe each guy, short little story, a hard thing that you've seen really work for your good. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, where my head goes with this verse, and I love this verse, Teddy. It's one of my favorites in all the Bible. Um, I think it brings a peace. You might have said it earlier. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I would argue that a Christian going through life is so much less scary than a non-Christian for so many reasons. But one of those is Jesus promises that we can have joy and peace no matter what our circumstances are. So. Amen. Sure, we're all going to be happy and joy-filled when things are going great. But why is it that Christian after Christian that I've encountered, when they're going through something really hard, they still have joy in their life? Well, it's because they have the Lord. Like They know that there's purpose. They know that the suffering they're going through is not wasted. God will not waste anything. Um, and our good friend C.J. Mahaney said one time in a sermon preaching through Job, he said, the only thing worse than suffering is wasted suffering. So mm-hmm. Christian, do not waste your suffering. Uh, God has a purpose in it. and, and I could give a lot of examples. I would say the first that comes to mind uh, would be the anxiety that I experienced switching from a belly putter to a short putter. I Mm. went from above average putter on the PGA Tour to (laughs) one of the worst for two years straight. And Teddy, like like you were just saying, I wanted to quit. I wanted to throw in the towel. I wanted to say, what's the point of this? But I feel like God used that to humble me. God used that to make me depend on him more. Mm. Um, And, you know, the phrase, the grass only grows in the valley. It doesn't grow on the mountaintop. So God has used trial after trial in my life, which I haven't had many compared to the world, but he's used those trials to make me more dependent on him, more like him. And, you know, you look back and you're like, I don't want to go through that again, but I am so thankful for it. And so mm-hmm. um, this verse has been like a balming to my soul uh, over the years. Yeah, for me, I agree, Weber. Um, same thing for me when I broke a bone in my back we couldn't figure it out for over a year and just living in lots of pain not being able to play golf wondering if I was ever even going to play again we just literally couldn't figure it out um we thought it was all disc stuff and finally um we started to figure it out and then it was a long road back without surgery thankfully but um you know you pray for things like lord please help me figure this out what's going on Mm -hmm. um but I'm so glad that he withheld 
the good that I was praying for for a season because that mm. was the season that the Lord drew me in close. Mm-hmm. And when you realize that God's all you have in some ways, He's really you know you realize He's all you need. That's um, right. And He really does provide you that peace that surpasses understanding, and and you really can walk through it with less anxiety and hope um, and even joy, which is mm-hmm. just crazy. So. That's that. That's, that's awesome. The thing that's just encouraged me about this verse, and you just you you get to know that it's true. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, for me, um, I would say the year after Bubba won the Masters in twelve, um, one and a half months after he won, uh, another caddy that had won his player won a major came up to me and said, "Get ready for a year and a half of hell," and I didn't know what he meant, <laughs> and because uh, we had just won the Masters, and honestly. It was 2013 was one of the worst years as a caddy. You know, um, I, I called Melanie three times to quit. Melanie encouraged me. Um, you know, Bubba was just dealing with so much stress and expectations. And, you know, you just get thrown into this spotlight. And man is not called to be worshipped, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Not to be worshipped. But they worship you and they expect things of you. And and he wasn't dealing with it well. And I was taking the brunt end of that, you know. Um, and it was just hard. And, uh you know, I look back and what if I would have quit? What if I would have just, you know what, I'm going to take, take over. Fortunately, I have a wife that's very well versed in the scriptures and just kept, you know, sticking it to me going, no, this is what the Bible says. Do this, do that. You know, if you have a problem with your brother, go to your brother and just different things. And I'm mm. like, yeah, I don't want to do any of that crap. You know, I just want to quit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now I look back and go, wow, man, what, how much have I learned? Helped me prepare for what he said to me in 2014. And what he was really scared of was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to go through this again. I just had this happen. 2013 was horrible for him. It was horrible for me. We won again in 14. I don't want to do this again. You know, it's mm. scary, right? So, but it's like, hey, man, this is good. This is a good thing. God bless you with this. And I think that's for me is just many times in my life, you know, whether big or small, I can look at this verse and go, all right, you know, there's a purpose. And yeah. I can certainly, as Webb said, you can look back and go, wow. And as Ben said, you know, that whole year you're praying for good. But when you look back, you're like, man, you know, people waited 40 years for mm-hmm. something good to happen in the Bible. And I'm waiting three minutes and going, Lord, <laughs> where's my tacos here? I, I'm at the taco I, shop. And uh, I don't even know if I got, got a golf match here in five minutes. Yeah. yeah. Tacos. <laughs> right. right. Why did you deconstruct, Teddy? Oh, my guacamole never came. How could God be real? <laughs> Literally. I double bogey the first hole because of Frank's taco shop. That's why. You know, it's like, it's so stupid, right? But uh, uh, so long suffering is a wonderful trait. Uh, I'll let y'all know if I ever get it. Yeah. Amen. Uh, we'll be Amen. waiting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Willie, this George Mueller quote is on the money. Please read right. it. I've got it in my room because it has helped me so many times. Uh, George Mueller, one of my heroes, said this. Remember this. Had any condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. Mm. I mean, that's Thank that you. is that yes. is on the money. Remember this: had any condition <laughs> been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. And so mm-hmm. let's let's land the plane here. And one of you guys just give an encouragement to the listener, especially the listener who might be limping through tough stuff. Teddy, why don't you give the encouragement? You're our guest. All right. Um, you know, I would just say that each one of us on this phone call have, you know, we, we, we're smiling, we're laughing, we're cutting up, but we have stuff going on too. 
Mm -hmm. And I think the first thing I would tell you is um, mold grows in the dark. Mm. So get it out, get the sunlight on it. And so Mm -hmm. the Bible talks about get it into the light, you know? So Mm -hmm. the first thing you do when you're struggling is talk to someone, reach out, let them know, man, I'm struggling with this. I'm having a tough time. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing you do is you go to the word, you go to God's word, the person that breathed life into you. And you mm-hmm. go to that and you say, what did he, what does he say about this situation? Mm-hmm. And Romans 8, 28, you know, is a great place to go. It's like, mm. this is for my good, even though you can't see it, it's for my good. And finally I'll say, you know, Paul was, was in jail and you're reading Philippians chapter four, he was in jail and he said, you know what, how cool is it that I could be killed by the Romans? I get to go to heaven and be with the Lord. That is mm. so cool. Like I get to go be with the Lord if they kill me. <laughs> but he also said, how cool is it if they don't kill me? I get to tell people about Jesus. That's and, it. You know, I read that and I'm like, well, huh? Like, <laughs> how, do, how do you think that's, that's, that doesn't logically make sense. I got news, news break for you, listener. You know, it doesn't have to make sense. When you get the peace that surpasses all understanding, surpasses yeah. all understanding. I don't understand that peace that Paul had and the break <laughs> of death. How do you get it? You go to the Lord, yep. you talk about it, you get with other br- brothers that can lift you up, you pray. This is the way that you're going to overcome Mm. and you're going to find the joy and the peace beyond circumstances. And then you're going to be able to be used by the Lord in the situation, the exact situation you walk through. God's going to put people in your life and you're going to say, hey, hang on. I got something for you. Let me tell you about what happened to me. Just Mm. like we're trying to do. So we want to encourage you, listener, go forward, walk through it so you can be that light to the next person and pay it forward. Amen. Amen. Well, huge thanks to our special guest, Ted Scott. Teddy, thanks for coming on, buddy. It's a treat. Um, Mm -hmm. And thank you for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you've got questions about Jesus, you can email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on all the socials under the handle at Bible Caddy. We'll be back on next week in the book of Ephesians. Until then, let's get into the word and let the word get into us. Money.